does have it all. All of our pre-owned vehicles are Hubler Q certified, which include a 128-point vehicle inspection, a free Carfax vehicle history report, and two warranties. A two-year, 100,000-mile powertrain warranty and a 30-day, 1,000-mile comprehensive warranty. Visit any of our 13 locations today or click drivehubler.com. You're listening to the best of Kevin and Query on 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. It is 8 o'clock on a Monday. Good morning to you. My name is Jay Query. Kevin Bowen here as well. Mark Dykton. We sound healthy and fit as a fiddle in this joint. Just peak February right now. You guys sound awful. Excuse me? You guys sound awful. You don't sound healthy. I I disagree. I don't know what... My voice is halfway decent, but... What, what about me sounds ill? Oh, you've been talking only the first hour. I feel like hell. I had a fever <laughs> dream that Wink Markendale was the... No, no, Aaron, no, Aaron Glenn, Glenn was the Colts head Aaron coach. Glenn. Whatever. I, I, to Jake's point, I did hear that Aaron Glenn left a very strong impression in his second interview. Tony, that was my dream. I, I, I got the shingles vaccine yesterday. All was good. I went to the Pacer game, met Rocky. That was awesome. Is the shingles vaccine just in your arm? Yes. Okay. I got two. I got the tetanus also. Mm-hmm. Did you scrape yourself on some rusty nails <laughs> said, or I go, something? I go, well, do I really need the tetanus? Like, I don't, I'm not like a welder. And the guy said, well, when's the last time you had one? I said, I have no idea. And he goes, well, then you probably need one. If you're going to meet Rocky tonight, you have to have this. Right. And I said, what happens if I if I don't get it? And he said, well, if you get tetanus, you could die. And I said, well, okay. If I'm going to meet a mascot Hall of Famer, I got to got So my it. arm is a little sore, but, but literally at about 3 a.m., I woke up from a fairly comfortable slumber, and I, I literally looked like Nicholson at the end of The Shining, or at least that's what I felt like. Like, I was freezing. I had like nine blankets on me. It was awful. I, I don't know that I went back to sleep. And then now I've got a little bit of a head cold. That's some vaccines. What? But, you know, you, you got to do what you got to do, right? But think about this Kyrie trade. I think Kyrie Irving is one of the most uniquely talented players in basketball, and I'm a little miffed by... If there was a team that I had to predict where he would end up, it would be Dallas, because I think Dallas has always believed in the big splash-type stuff, and the thought process of Luka Doncic and Kyrie Irving in the same backcourt is very intriguing. That's a lot. Is there enough ball to go around? That's it. They are two players that both need the ball in their hands. The, the The easiest way to say it would be, okay, it's great that he's he's in the backcourt. Like, who do you stop, right? Except for the same thing. He, he's That's exactly where he was previously, and it's not like he was winning titles there. I realize he won one in Cleveland. But. Gosh, he's so talented and so exhausting. I mean, him and Luca, frankly, I mean, that's two of the top, what, 10, 15, most just, like, Talented backcourt guy. The problem with Kyrie, in terms of his talent level, he is a top probably five talent in the NBA. And then in terms of his teammate level, I, and I don't know the guy, but he is just constant distraction. Just constant distraction. Yeah, I just laughed when I saw the news on Friday. When he's good, he's really good. And if you're Durant, what are you thinking? Kevin... Here is Kyrie Irving in a nutshell. And this is applicable for men or women. In this case, I will say men because that's what I am. Guy, every guy has the guy in college that you are friends with or the high school buddy or whatever it is. I thought you were going to go Mike Gundy on us. That, 
everybody has that guy that meets some girl that is a total wild child. Or for you ladies listening, you have one of your girlfriends that meets a guy that is just a total bro, like a frat bro guy. And you're like, you know what? I mean, they're really good looking and they're fun and like they look great when they walk into the wedding together, but everybody knows that like they're a wild child, but everybody knows that person that is convinced they're going to change the significant other. I know she's been crazy in the past, but I really think like I can get her to settle down or the woman saying that about a guy. That's exactly what Kyrie Irving is. He is a wonderful talent who... In 60% of the games that he is available is an asset to you because he's a great offensive player and facilitator and everything else. And then the other 40% of the time, he's half crazy. He doesn't play. He sits out or he causes problems and disruption. And But every he is talented enough that every franchise thinks to themselves, yeah, but we've got the people in place. We're confident that we can turn things around for him. And here, here he's back to square one. He'll be back on the block for Dallas in two years. The Dallas connections, Jason Kidd, Kyrie have had a relationship. Nico Harrison, the Mavs GM, uh, used to work at Nike. So a connection there. So I think that's why Dallas thinks they can be the sixth team that solves Kyrie Irving. Um, On the Colts head coaching front, I would say the biggest news item from the weekend happened yesterday, and that was Ejero Evero, who interviewed... Twice for the Colts' head coaching job. He was the first outside-of-the-building candidate. Got a second interview with Indy. He is going to become Frank Reich's defensive coordinator in Carolina. So I think there's a lot of dominoes that you look at from this. One, it keeps Gus Bradley theoretically on the open market. And I guess technically he's not really on the open market. The Colts still have him under contract. You would think the new head coach would make the permanent decision on that. Kind of like Sean Payton did with Evero in Denver. And what I think, if you're a Panthers fan, I think what you have to like is you interviewed Evero for your head coaching gig, and yet you got two of the candidates you interviewed for the head coaching gig now on your staff. And that is something that I felt like the Colts could and should try and do. The Colts have interviewed a ton of candidates. Could there have been an offensive hire, and then you pair them up with a defensive coordinator, or vice versa? Um, so I think that is something that Carolina did here. That Jake, this is part of the advantage of getting the process done a little bit earlier. And that's probably the one negative I've had with the Colts. I'm okay with patience, but the one negative is you're missing out on opportunities to build a staff. And guys are going to get antsy. Guys are going to get nervous. It's February 6th. Typically, coaching staffs are filled around the NFL by this point, and now we only have two openings. That is something that... I think you've got to keep in mind if you're the Colts. Do you think he calls Indianapolis before he takes the job in Carolina? I would hope. Or I don't, again, I don't mean know. to say I don't mean to say, hey, professional courtesy here, I want to let you know what I'm doing. I mean to say, like, hey, do I have a shot here? Yeah, just to be sure. Right. Yeah. And he was a a candidate in Arizona as well. And again, that opening appears to be down to three finalists, Brian Flores, uh, Mike Kafka, the young Giants OC. Two names that uh, you know I was kind of intrigued by, um, and then Lou is it? Boy, I always butcher it. Something with an A. Um, he's the Bengals, DC. Uh, but the other question I would have, Jake, is is he? Are the Colts telling candidates no? And are the Lou Colts trimming him? Do it again. On a rumo. On a rumo. Thank you. He was at Purdue for a while. 
Are the Colts telling candidates no? Is this list shrinking? I could see the Colts not telling them no as much as we're not in a position to make a decision just yet. Hey, I want to know if I'm the guy. We're not in a position to make a decision just yet. Well, it's got to be a tough call then if you're him. We'll let you know on our fourth round of interviews. Oh, by the way, I've broken down what I think happens like in a 12-hour interview. Oh, really? Okay. Can we can we go over that? Sure. Well, I, I think 12 hours is a little bit overblown. I think it's more like 8-ish. Okay. You know, you got to so eat. You got to travel. This begins at 9 a.m., right? Okay. okay. And I'm just, you know, these are one-hour chunks. And when okay. you're meeting with Jim Irsay, let's be honest, time can be a bit fluid. Ask about Janice Joplin, 9 a.m., 12.45, have conversation interrupted mm-hmm. by someone. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Drums back there. Okay. One hour on your planet quarterback. Okay. One hour on your free agency plan. One hour on the draft. One hour on, you know, schedule, practice schedule, training camp schedule, off-season schedule, all that okay. stuff. Uh, another hour on the locker room. Uh, when's lunch? Well, lo- you know, lunch you can th- throw it in. Okay. So after schedule, we'll, we'll go to lunch. Yeah, go to lunch. We'll talk about the locker room. Come back. How about another hour on the coaching staff? Uh, one hour just on your general background as a human. That probably should slide maybe to the front. Maybe that's the 9 a.m. hour. Right. Okay. Um, again, because Jim Mercer did not sit in on these first interviews. So these would be the second interviews. Okay. And then lastly, I would say another hour on what that coach thinks of your roster. Okay. So that gets us to 4 p.m. Well, five. We're done. At roster begins at four. Five. We're done. Right. And then we. And then what? Throwing breakfast. Throwing dinner. Maybe a shower. What do they eat? Rick's Boatyard. That's probably right, right? Because it's over on the west side. The Boathouse Grill, right? Right there by the complex. Either Rick's Boatyard. Okay. It's a good spot. I like and the then, Boathouse Grill. And then, like you say, hey, you know, we can talk more about this tomorrow. And they say, oh, we'd like to do that, but we have candidate 37 coming at 9 a.m., yeah. mm-hmm. right? Yeah, we got Aaron Glenn coming in. Uh, Ryan goes, I know he gets a lot of crap for trading DeAndre Hopkins, but he's surprised that we didn't call Bill O'Brien. Had a lot of success during his time with the Texans. You liked him initially, right? I think Bill O'Brien just has this awful stigma against him, and I'm confused why. Like, his resume as a head coach, not a GM, and Ryan points that out there in trading Hopkins, as a head coach, I would say is somewhat respectable, if not better than respectable, considering some of these retreads to get thrown out there. I was a little surprised that Bill O'Brien wasn't a candidate anywhere. I was thinking that you liked him, like initially that you were saying. He's honestly someone I thought Purdue should call. Maybe that's what I'm thinking, yeah. I mean, what what they do? Go to the playoffs, what, four times in six years, something like that, when he was the head coach? I'd like to know this. And I think you get on me a little bit when I mention this. Probably rightly so. It does not matter. It is irrelevant. I give them credit for doing their due process. There certainly is no rush for all intent and purposes. But do fans see this? And kudos to the Colts. The Colts said up front, look, this is going to be a while. Do fans see the exhaustive weight and, and thorough nature of the Colts coaching search as necessary and signs of thoroughness or do they see it as at this point tired and absurd how do colts fans view it yes oh certainly the latter you think so tired and absurd yeah 
Oh yeah, if you if you put a poll out there, I would say the majority would say tired and absurd over thorough I, and the one thing diligence. that the one thing that to me stands out at this point, you've interviewed everybody twice and possibly three times, and football is a game that moves quickly. Everything in football moves quickly. During the game, you got to make decisions quickly. In the draft, you got to you got to get up there and you got to make your pick. You've got to have done research and the, the the process of the scouting process and make your pick and do it quickly. And I realize that they have time for this, but the longer it goes, does the more it question their process and their ability to make a decision. And that's totally fair if people are like, you are a radio guy trying to create a storyline that doesn't exist. That's fair. I'm just spitballing here. But does it feel like this is an organization that can't make a decision? Yeah, and I think that's the key word you just used there, Jake. Organization. Jim Ursay, to say he was in the background for the first interviews would be an understatement. Like, he didn't really want to take part in any of the first round of interviews. So if Jim Ursay is a little bit more front and center for the first round of interviews and then obviously he is again for the second round of interviews maybe you can solve this after two rounds the fact that Ursay said no 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 you know come to me after the first round and then I'll show up well now that can delay some things because he's the one making the final decision I, I just think that the Colts have given themselves Zero benefit of the doubt with decision-making right now with their fan base. So everything is going to be skeptical. Everything is going to be kind of critically evaluated. Um, Again, my knock is it that you could be losing out on staff members. That would be one. You saw that perhaps, right? My my knock on it. Yeah. Is your mic on? Oh, sorry. We saw that. Did you turn my mic off? Oh, I don't touch your mic. That's all you. I did not turn that off. That's baloney. Why would I turn my mic off? There's no one that loves my mic being on more than me. I know. I've always found that odd. <laughs> the only time I touch is when you leave it on during breaks. I don't leave it on during breaks. Oh. Did we have a caller about Notre Dame football, Mark? Yeah. What's his, he wants your opinion on to- Tommy Reese leaving. Andrew, Tommy Reese, going to Alabama? Kevin, how are you this morning? Doing swell. Yourself? I'm doing great. I want to get your opinion on Tommy leaving. Um, I know it's a big change for... Notre Dame's offensive coordinating position, um, but didn't know if you had any likely candidates for that job or uh, what you thought about Tommy leaving. I want Charlie Weiss Jr. <laughs> uh, and I say that in all seriousness. Uh, Andrew, thank you for the call. I think Tommy Reese is a big loss. I know a lot of Notre Dame fans were highly critical of him. Um, I would disagree. I, I think Reese is a really bright offensive mind. Sean McVay had a lot of interest in him a couple years ago. and I mean, Jake, just look at the Alabama offensive coordinator Track record. Oh. Lane Kiffin, Steve Sarkeesian, Bill O'Brien. I don't blame Tommy Reese whatsoever for taking that job. Oh, it's better than most head coaching jobs, right? Have you been to Alabama? Uh, yeah, but not Tuscaloosa. Tuscaloosa's pretty nice. I like Tuscaloosa. I think, I think Miami th- just fired their OC, by the way, Andrew. Um, Josh Gaddis, I don't know, maybe a kick the tires on him i think at this point if i was an at the age i am now if i was an offensive coordinator i'd take jobs just almost entirely based on just where i want to live and south bend probably wouldn't be high on the list yeah tuscaloosa would be nice 
I don't know that I'd even want to live in Clemson, South Carolina. Like, I love Clemson, but I don't think I'd want to live there. God, it's crazy. Tommy Reese is 30 years old. But with that move, Jake, he now is probably created. If he has success as the Alabama OC, he could be an NFL head coach within five yeah. years. Two years of, and I heard of success at Alabama, go to the NFL. But be it an seemed OC to me years. like people were not happy with their offensive yeah, I just, decisions last year. You know, maybe from a recruiting standpoint, he was, you know, they missed out on some offensive talent. But I think with what he's had to work with, I think they've been fine. If Sean McVay and Nick Saban want you, you're good enough for me. Hell, remember Brian Kelly? Brian Kelly put the full court press on him to try and get him to come to LSU. That was a huge deal. Him staying in Notre Dame. Now, there's a place I could live. Baton Rouge? I'd live in Baton Rouge. If I was the... Who's the biggest offensive guru in college football? Who's the, the O coordinator that like everybody wants? I, I guess head coach, I would go on Lincoln Riley. So if I'm Lincoln Riley, I literally I'm shocking the world because I'm becoming the head coach of the Wyoming Cowboys just to live in Laramie, Wyoming. Like hell yes. Find Bill, the next Josh Allen. Oh, I'd be the best. There's only like one bar in Laramie though, but it's okay. They have a nice burger place. It's beautiful. It's where I'd go. Um uh, Mark the mascot stay Hall with of Monaco. Fame. Reese What's Monaco. That? You can stay with Reese Monaco, that uh the voice <laughs> of the Cowboys who we had on. Ask him, ask him a question at eight p.m. about Trace Jackson Davis, and let him go. Settle it at midnight. You know, I I know that we obviously <laughs> laugh at that, and again, for those that forget, IU Wyoming in the playing game last year, we had the voice of the Cowboys on to close out the show. I think the day of the game, the day before the game, and you would have thought he saw an alien and watching Trace Jackson Davis. He talked and talked and talked. He was a he nice guy. He would have gone until eleven o'clock. He's a nice guy about Trace, but can't that help Indiana and Purdue in the tournament? What, like Reese in all Monaco? seriousness, the fact that obviously Edie much more than Trace, but they are two very unique big guys, and it's hard to replicate that or simulate that in practice. I, I would agree. I, Edie, of course, both of them are guys that can carry them for a little bit. Yes, and Matt Painter was effusive in his praise. Do we have that sound, Mark? I was going to ask yeah. you about the mascot Hall of Fame, but let's get to that. Matt Painter, after the game, was asked about Trace Jackson Davis. Zach Eady was tremendous for Purdue and getting them back in the game after Indiana got out to a big lead. Trace Jackson Davis, a big part of that lead. You knew that it was going to come down to the play of both big men. And 25 for Trace Jackson Davis. And this was Matt Painter afterwards in talking about Indiana's star forward center, Trace Jackson Davis. Trace is fabulous. Just a great person. You know, great player. Um... You know, we were on him early and put a lot of time into him. And obviously, he, he chose to come here, and that's you know that that's his choice. But he's he's fabulous, man. He's added more pieces to his game. His decision making when he first started, when you doubled him, was just okay. And now he's gotten where he's really good. But tonight he was physical. Like you know, when he made moves and he did stuff, like he was our guys were bouncing off of him. I mean, it was impressive. Like he made a couple spin moves and you know the dunks, and he's got a bright future. There's, there, there's, there's some really, really intelligent NBA people out there that understand that. So you can look at those mock drafts or whatever, but he's going to spend a long time in the NBA. He's fabulous. And he's a super, super person. Uh, was Charlie Brown's teacher holding court next door? Was that what was going on there? I, I, I did want to add on that super person part, uh, Matt Painter threw out there that Trace Jackson Davis texted Matt Painter, when um, Caleb Swanigan passed, just offering his condolences to Matt Painter. He does seem like just a great kid. I know he's on with John with with uh, on our station here late last week. And um, again, Jake, I thought 
and Matt Painter pointed out there, he was decisive when he needed to be, but also when the double came, I thought he was really patient. And I mean, Indiana scored 79 points and hit four threes. You don't often see that. Team score 79, easily the most Purdue's given up all year, and they only hit four threes. Obviously, the Purdue turnovers played into that, but Jalen Hood-Shafino was just outstanding. I thought um, the the other thing that I noticed in the post-game press conference, my buddy Mark Baker sent me this picture, and I'm like, holy cow. Braden Smith and Zach Eady sitting up at the podium next to one another? Oh, yeah, I saw the Will Ferrell elf meme. I mean, it was unbelievable. Like, that was the first time that you're like, that gives you an idea just how massive a human being Zach Eady is. Just uh, unbelievable. Boy, Braden Smith, it seemed like he got into the lane and to the rim so often, but boy, he just couldn't throw anything in. Yeah. Finally made that late one. Well, you knew eventually that you know that the that young late. play of the guards for Purdue may come into play, and, and to an extent it did. I mean, it, they, it's odd, to, and I don't know the vibe that you've gotten, Jake, but I get the vibe that Obviously, Indiana's going to be thrilled about that. But I get the vibe that, like, Purdue, obviously they don't want to lose to their rival, but Purdue fans feel just fine, if not really good, about their team after what happened on Saturday. I'm telling you, three times Indiana has knocked off the number one team in the country at Assembly Hall since the building opened in 1972. 2000, Michigan State. 2000 was that was Michigan State the defending national champion that was the year they went to the championship game right I, that was that was um yeah right Mateen Cleves and them they beat Florida here yeah but it might have been the year before it might have been the year before but either way Michigan and Kentucky the last two both of them went on to the national championship game with the national player of the year on their roster I was trying to think the Michigan one would that have been Trey Burke yes gosh he was a good college player so you, you know it, if you are Purdue, there's really not a lot of shame. You, you want to win it because it's your rival. I totally get it, right? But at the same time, the reality, you go and you play a ranked team who was favored on the road, and they win by five. It's, I thought the environment just got to great. Purdue a little bit. Yeah, the environment line, was great. 10 of 17, turnovers, certainly. Two weeks from Saturday, the rematch, and that's a night game, 7.30, up in Mackey, interesting kind of scheduling uh, here from the Big Ten. Obviously, uh, IU probably doesn't love that they now play the football team, right? Isn't that what Rutgers is? Rutgers is a football team playing basketball. Let me tell you, tomorrow night, six thirty, Assembly Hall. You got to give Rutgers some credit, though, right? Oh, like they've done. I mean, they might be the second best team in the Big Ten. Yeah, yeah, and you totally forget about them. They beat Michigan State right on Saturday. Yeah, they are right there. I mean, Purdue's got a stranglehold in the Big Ten for sure. But how about Michigan? Michigan State's the one that I don't know. Are the there's like 17 teams at seven and five in the Big are the Nine. Michigan are, are radio guys in in the state of Michigan taking calls about Tom Izzo? Whoa, let's get him to South Bend. <laughs> you want anybody in oh, South? Oh, someone Bend. tweeted at me the Bill Self to to South Bend over the weekend. Oh, sure, why not? I'm going to be there in three weeks. You want me to drop that note to him? I, for a second, I thought you were going to be in South Bend. No. Notre Dame had an early lead on Wake Forest, but they struggled. I saw Butler kept it closer than they usually do in their losses. Is that a step in the right direction? Uh, it's The year is probably, you're probably looking. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love 
hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Forward to next year, right? You're listening to Kevin and Query on 93.5 and 107.5, The Fan. All right, let's head right away to the Payless Slickers hotline. He's on it on this Monday morning. He is Miller Cop. After the Indian Hoosiers get the win over the number one ranked Purdue Boilermakers on Saturday, Miller joins us now. Good morning, Miller. Thanks for the time. Good morning. Good morning. Thanks for having me. What does, I'm curious about this, what does a Monday look like for someone that's been in college for as long as you have? <laughs> well, right now I'm outside walking my dog. Um, I'm all online right now, which is uh, actually really nice because um, I look at it this way. I feel like I've paid my dues in the classroom. Sure. And um, get, I will be getting my degree, so it's basically school basketball right now and it's it's uh pretty simple and picking up dog and picking up dog poop i assume yeah Yeah. later today actually after practice okay i have a really weird question miller when it comes to i've thought about this with the transfer portal for example you played three years at northwestern correct yep yes sir so i'm gonna guess that when you left northwestern you probably had accumulated somewhere around i don't know 90 hours maybe 95 credit hours at northwestern is that right probably yeah i mean i was i was ahead in in my three years okay so then how does it work in terms of when you transfer and i know this has nothing to do with basketball and i apologize for that but northwestern is an elite academic institution not that indiana is not but how does it work in terms of the hours that transfer and then as a graduate, do you still graduate from Northwestern? Or, I mean, obviously you're finishing at Indiana and so many hours have to be with Indiana University. Take me through yep. it. Well, so I did not graduate at Northwestern in three years. So I was there for three years, was very close. You know, I was a couple, really a couple classes away from from being able to graduate in three years, but it just didn't happen. But they're on the quarter system, so their classes – um, you know, the classes are, you know, a lot faster and, uh, just because there's more of them throughout the year. And so that I think was the biggest, um, thing when transitioning from, you know, there to Indiana is that the hours didn't exactly line up because I had to take, you know, a X amount of classes at, uh, Northwestern and significantly less more or less classes at Indiana because they're on the semester schedule. And so that kind of, the hours, kind of some things didn't transfer because I didn't have enough. And I'm not a pro at it, but 
our academic advisors, you know, you know, Lorian Price, make sure we're all good with that stuff. So it uh, it all worked out. And Miller, what's the dog's name? Dog's name's Ivy. Ivy Y. Okay, Miller and Ivy joining us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline. What, what kind of dog is Ivy? Boxer dog, one oh, year old. The best that. boxers are the best. Yeah. Look at that. Um, let's go back to Saturday. Obviously, the first half speaks for itself. You guys putting up fifty, a couple big ones from you in that first half. Um, what did you think the difference was in kind of setting the tone, building that double digit lead that you guys played with throughout? Well, I think a big thing was was our pressure on the ball. You know, the thing with with you know Edie is you're not going to stop. You're really not going to stop him. He's going to he's going to score. That's kind of what we we talked about going into the game. It's like he's going to score some, and uh, you know we just have to make it as hard on the other guards as you know we possibly can. So you know that's you know pushing their catches out, making them play as far away from the basket as possible, and uh, you know really making the post entry passes tough to give Trace a little more time to try to you know just root you know big Edie out so that that was a huge thing for us and offensively it's like you know we feel like we're at our best when we're, we're out in transition running and you know getting dunks and, and early threes and stuff so that was really the biggest thing stops and then run you had a huge steal there about five minutes ago it was one of those times Purdue had a chance to potentially tie or take the lead you were kind of digging down on Edie and got your hands in there I Obviously, you're not guarding him one-on-one, but how do you describe what it's like just to see his presence and have to deal with that out there? Oh, man, it's, it's you know, there's no one else in college basketball like him. You know, he's he's huge, but he's also so, he, he's really skilled. You know, his touch around the rim has gotten so much better since last year. You know, he knows where he catches it, you know, whether he, even have, whether he has to dribble or not, which is, you know, really hard for defenses and, and doubling. You know, in the second half, when he got some, you know, his a couple straight, you know, we we couldn't double because he just went straight up. He didn't even dribble. So, um, you know, it's it's uh, uh, one of those things where you just try to make it as hard as you possibly can on him. You know what's interesting to me, Miller? I, I'm going to be completely frank with you. I don't think I'm going to tell you anything that's going to shock you here, right? Yeah. My buddies, you know, I went to IU, so I've got friends that are diehard IU fans. And they'll watch a game, and you know if it's one of those games where you're not necessarily getting looks or your shot is not falling, mm-hmm. then you always hear the Miller cop is not hitting threes. Why is he out there? Right. That's always yeah. the, the the knock that comes with a three point shooter. Uh-huh. Um, your minutes are such that it is very clear to me, and you tell me if you disagree, that your role and what you bring and what Mike Woodson expects of you goes beyond just being a guy that hangs around the three-point line to hit a few shots. Oh, absolutely. What is your uh, role that, that those of us who are not at practice don't understand? Um, you know, my role is something that, that you know, has to, uh, you know, be applied every single day, um, you know, practice and lifts. Um, you know, I'm a guy who's been around the game for so long, you know, in college and, and also with Coach Woody here for his second year is like, you know, I know, I know everything that, that he expects. You know, I've played, you know, every team in the Big Ten a lot of times. I know what, you know, they run the same things every year. The coaches run the same things every year. You know, a lot of the same players, you know, the guys I've played against are the same dudes and have the same tendencies. And, um, you know, so really my role, my job on this team is to, yes, make shots. You know, it's, you know, if I have an open shot, I got to make it. And, you know, I feel like I've been, 
been doing that, you know, when, when the opportunities present itself. You know, no, I'm not, you know, out there getting plays run for me. And I understand that because we got, you know, two pros, all American on our team. And, you know, we've, we've had success on offense like that. So, um, you know, the other things that I do and, and are expected to do is, you know, know where everybody's supposed to be at, kind of be like a, a quarterback on defense. Um, you know, always talking, always yelling, always communicating, and, uh, you know, making sure everybody's in the right spot. And just being a leader out there. You know, you know, every team kind of needs a guy that, um, you know, just, just, you know, holds people together, holds people accountable, and, and you know, expects the highest of everybody on the team. And so, for me, you know, that's, you know, obviously it never shows up on the box score. Or ne- it never, you know, it, it's, it's really talked about. But, you know, the guys on the team and, and the coaches, I truly believe, you know, believe in that and believe in my role and the importance in it or else, shoot, I wouldn't be playing. When I played basketball, there were always, there were always like a couple of guys on the team that you just kind of felt like everything was going to be all right so long as they were around. They just had like a very clear composure and understanding of what was needed game in and game out. And it it created a calming influence in the locker room. And a lot of times, those are not guys that were your star players. For Indiana, I think people would naturally assume that we're talking about Trace Jackson Davis or Jalen hood Shafino. But my question for you, Millicop, is give me an Indiana teammate that provides that kind of a stability within your locker room that maybe doesn't get the headlines of the others. Um, You know what I'll say is... I would say Anthony Leal, and and it's one of those that you know I've got so much respect for him and the way he works and the way he you know approaches every day. And it's easy for you know it'd be easy for a guy like Anthony, and I don't want to speak for him, but I, I just I, I I've you know, spoken with him, and you know we're really close. But it'd be easy for a guy like Anthony to be pissed off, you know, he's not playing or, or upset and not work as hard or um, do whatever. But he is he is a grinder. You know, he is somebody on the team who do, who leads by example on the court every single day. So it's it's um, you know something where you know he knows oftentimes the scout better than you know probably anybody on the team. You know because he's he's you know in there working with the scout team. You know, because so he can learn the, the opposing uh, team's offense better, and so stuff like that. It's like you you look at him and go, man, like this dude's working his tail off. You know, not seeing the results right now, but you know, it's just something that you have to respect as a as a player and as a man. He's playing 145 career games. Miller Cop is with us right now. And Ivy, I should mention, one-year-old That's boxer right. Ivy also with us here. Uh, Miller, the court storm happens, and your thoughts are what? Are you, oh, man, i got to go celebrate. i got to go shake hands. I've got to run to the locker room so I don't get trampled. What are your What are your thoughts? Well, I, you know, I was thinking, number one, I didn't even, you know, wasn't expecting a court storm at all. Um, you know, we expected to win. We went into the game, you know, 100% believing that we were going to come out with a win no matter what. And so that was our thinking, you know, for, with that. And so after the game, they started storming the court. I didn't even realize it until I looked 
and you know half the court was already filled up and then you know people were shoving their phones in my face and i'm like you know i just wanted to get out of there to be honest with you <laughs> and, and celebrate it with the team so um it, it, it was cool but at the same time you know that's what we expected to do so when you were at northwestern you're on the north side of chicago did you ever catch any cubs games I went to we we went to a couple of the team and they were pretty sweet in the summer and springtime. Because I you grew up in Houston, right? Are you an Astros fan? I am an Astros fan, but I'm not. I didn't grow up. You know, I grew up. Uh, both my parents are from Pittsburgh, so I wasn't you know okay. that hard Astros fan. So but I I definitely want them to succeed. I'm trying to figure out the origin of the name Ivy. My first thought was perhaps the Ivy of Wrigley Field. Then I thought maybe it's that Northwestern is darn near an Ivy League school. And then my safest, which is you have a girlfriend that named the dog Ivy. <laughs> no, I'm single as can be, but um, and you know. Very, very good answers, um, but all wrong. You know, actually, I was up when I was driving to go pick up, you know, Ivy last year after our season ended. I was listening to a, uh, a tape about training dogs, and they were like, yeah, good names are ones that are like one syllable and this and that. And then I just thought of Ivy, and then boom, that was it. There you go. Wow. Okay. Gosh, you are. Ivy's lucky to have you um, guiding uh, him around. Um <laughs> Miller, we'll end with this. The best best pizza in Bloomington is where? Oh man! And be oh, careful no, for your nil. You know, you know you. Yeah, I don't want to give out any free ads. Yeah. You know? <laughs> to be honest, I, you know what I will say? I think the best coffee in Bloomington is Inkwell. Wow, best I'll say that. coffee. You have been in college a while. If you're going with the best coffee here, in <laughs> I know, right? By the way, what is your major? I am a liberal studies major with minor in sociology. So you would like to be doing what when your basketball playing days are over? Oh, man, that's a loaded question. Uh, something I've been thinking about a, a, a little bit here and there, but, um, you know, I have no idea. You know, something, maybe something in media, maybe something in, you know, television, maybe something, um, you know, um, I, you know, I, I have no clue at all. So I'll check, check with you in a couple years. <laughs> Uh, how about the best restaurant in Bloomington? Best restaurant? Uh, well, my favorite. My favorite, I've got to say, is um, that's one of our team favorites. Maybe not my favorite, but just for, just for the team, Viva Moss. Hmm. Best Boy. restaurant. These are two just answers. good energy in there. That's all. Just good energy. Hey, there was some great energy Saturday. Thanks to you boys and that victory, 79-74. Quick turnaround with Rutgers coming in tomorrow night. Miller, enjoy the walk on this Monday morning, and I really appreciate the time. Thank you so much. Y'all have a good one. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com. And talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, 
and everything in between. Joining us now on the Payless Liquors Hotline, he is with The Athletic. He is Bob Kravitz. And Bob, we'll probably get into a little IU Purdue here in a minute. But before we do so, let's talk about this story that we were just discussing um, involving John Morant and the Pacers. Tell me what you learned and what the latest, if any, is on this story. Well, basically, became aware of uh, what had happened. I guess it was Friday night and spent uh, all of Saturday kind of uh, crossing T's and dotting I's, getting in touch with the Grizzlies, getting in touch with the league, and then we felt comfortable running it, uh, I guess it was yesterday afternoon. Um, basically, what happened was that Pacers um, uh, were congregating out by their team bus in the loading dock, and they came across uh, Devontae Pack and a bunch of John Morant's guys who were, uh, uh, you know, screaming at them, uh, saying, hey, you want a piece of this? You know, with the usual nonsense. And then uh, after John Morant came out of the locker room, they dispersed into two cars, and the car, the SUV where Morant was was, uh, riding, um, a red laser emanated from that car and was aimed at Pacers players, coaches, and support staff. And the security guy for the Pacers was overheard to say, that's 100% a gun. Now, I don't know the first thing about guns, but I, after doing many research, uh, doing searches on Google, um, I, I guess there are sites that are attached to various types of firearms, um, to help, you know, with aim and getting people in the crosshairs and all that sort of stuff. So, you know, the Pacers were, were scared to death. They thought they were going to be held up at gunpoint. The good thing is that the car, um, which had come close to the bus drove off, but you know, the, the, uh, the Pacers, um, went, uh, to security um, they they wanted the league to look into it. The league looked into it, and surprise, surprise, decided that it was no big deal. They couldn't um, confirm that there was a gun, etc. And so this thing will probably die um, at some point. But uh, you know that's that's the Grizzlies. I mean, they've they've built a culture over there that um, that's uh, a little bit uh, concerning. Bob, do you know uh, what or who the Pacers players were out there at that time? I, I know Miles and Halliburton mentioned last night they were not out there. Um, you know, were any Pacers players out there during this time? Yeah, all, all I know is it was players, coaches, and support staff, men and women. Um, I do not. We do not know specifically who was out there because there were two buses. One bus had left earlier. Uh, you know, not everybody had emerged from the locker room at that. Time. So we do not know exactly which players were out there. I believe James Johnson was one of them. So, Bob, the the thing that makes this interesting, aside from you know the obvious details that you mentioned, is that there is precedent for John Morant, maybe not so much John Morant as his entourage, for lack of a better yeah. phrase, getting involved. Is, is the NBA, my understanding is his brother, has been told not to come back to games this year. 
What is the NBA's level of concern, do you believe, not necessarily in this single incident, but in trying to police that it does not happen moving forward? Yeah, it's hard to say. They were very defensive about um, about this whole thing when we reached out uh, to them. Sam Amick, uh, my colleague, reached out to the league, and they were fairly defensive before uh, issuing a statement. I think if you're the NBA, you want this thing to just go away because, you know, the, the, the Grizzlies, for better or worse, are now, I mean, they've lost a bunch of games in a row, but they have been one of the marquee teams in the league. Certainly John Morant, who just signed a big contract, I believe, with Nike. Um, I believe it's with Nike. Um, he is clearly one of the marquee players in the league, and they do not want uh, this kind of stuff getting out there that uh, players or friends of players are aiming guns at opposing teams. Um, so I, I think they would, all things considered, rather just sweep it under the rug and act like it never happened. Again, Bob Kravitz with us from The Athletic. You can find more um, in his latest that's currently up there right now on that incident. Um, shifting gears, Indiana Purdue from Saturday. Bob, what did you think was the difference in the game? I thought this. I thought the uh, the others. I thought you know everybody was looking at Edie versus Jackson Davis, but I thought that uh, Jalen Huchifino, uh, I'll just say, I think is the best NBA prospect uh, on the Indiana team. I think he's a first rounder eventually when he decides to go that route. But I thought Jalen Huchifino. With 12, 12 of the 16 in the second half, I thought Galloway was real good. Cop hit a couple of shots. And Woodson said after that, uh, I thought, I, I, he thought that IU's secondary guys outplayed Purdue's secondary guys. And I think he's, he's absolutely right. Um, they got a lot of good minutes. I mean, Caleb Banks came in, played well. Malik Renew uh, gave them some good minutes. So I thought it was the guys other than Trace Jackson Davis and Zach Eady. Yeah, I would I would totally agree, Bob, regarding Jalen Hood Shafino. You know, Matt Painter after the game kind of made a a comment about mock drafts essentially mocking them, which I totally get, right? But at the same time, I still look at him as a barometer and Jalen Hood Shafino, it took a while, but now his name is starting to surface on those like in the mid-20s, and I think that's probably the late end. I mean, I think he can improve from there, and I would be stunned if he doesn't come out this year. Would you? Yeah, I mean, look, if you're you're a first-round pick, I've always felt that unless you have a burning desire to continue your education or you can can help yourself significantly, uh, it's probably best to come out. I do not know his, his family's financial situation, so you know that always that always uh, um, has an impact on what guys decide to do. But you're right. Uh, I looked at mock drafts and I saw him in the mid twenties. And quite frankly, I did I did not know until I talked with uh, some NBA folks that Huchifino is that highly regarded. But he is, and he's played really, really well. Still, too many turnovers. He had that one horrible one for fourteen game against Maryland. But he's been really good since, especially 
since Xavier went out. Yeah, he was huge late with Trace not scoring the final 10 minutes. Jalen Huchifino, big time for Indiana. Again, Bob Kravitz with us from The Athletic. Bob, I asked this to Jake earlier, and I'll ask it to you now. You feel more confident right now in Purdue making the Elite Eight or Indiana making the Sweet 16? Um, I You know, it's funny. I, I, I'm pretty bullish on both, guys. I, I mean, I really am. Um, you know, the thing that scares me about Purdue is what happens if Zach gets in foul trouble. Now, it has not been a problem this year. Um, but I, you know, he doesn't have Trey Beyond sitting on the bench waiting for him. I mean, Kaufman Wren is going to be a player, but I don't know that he's developed to that point. Um, uh, I think I think IU taking the Sweet Sixteen is probably a safer bet. Um, yeah, there's a, there's really there's one less question. variable within with Indiana. You know, it takes one less game for Indiana to make the Sweet Sixteen. Therefore, if it's a draw, you go with that, right? Because it's one less right. variable. Exactly, exactly. That's a great question. And again, I, mean, I come on here for column ideas, so you know, <laughs> that's right. It has and, nothing and, to do with you, with you guys. I just come on for column ideas. Well, yeah, we all got to be selfish in this world. Um, exactly. Jake and I were talking earlier. I mean, I think both fan bases exit Saturday. Of course, Purdue's feeling you know, good. Yeah, of course, Purdue wanted to win the game, but. I mean, there are a lot of reasons why foul foul shooting turnovers that you don't expect that to be the norm for for Purdue and Braden Smith and Fletcher Lawyer are going five of twenty. Like I think both fan bases exit Saturday just continuing to feel very encouraged. Agree completely. I mean, if I from Purdue, I look at the way they played in the second half. I mean, that first half was really out of character. Uh, Eleven turnovers for a team that averages ten point nine turnovers per game and they had 11 in the first half they're 10 10 or 17th in the free throw line including Braden Smith who I believe was 204 so I, I thought that there was a lot a, a lot that was out of character for Purdue in that first half but I thought the way they played um and toughed it out in the second half and they, they got beat by one or two possessions in the end uh, in an impossible place to win, generally speaking. So, yeah, if I'm, uh, I'm feeling good if I'm both teams. You know, IU now six out of seven. Purdue falls all the way to twenty-two and two. They'll both be fine. Bob, you have obviously you've been to Vegas, right? Not that often, but uh, yeah, on occasion. Okay. So you go to Vegas. Let's say your wife just decides she wants to go somewhere and lay by the pool and enjoy nice weather. So you go to Vegas. While you're there, they have a they have a special offer. You get to ten bucks. You get to buy. You have to pull out of a hat a name of coaches that has been interviewed at least twice by the Colts. And if you pull out the one that ends up getting the head coaching job, you win a grand. Okay. Okay. So. I'm going to give you a list of names, and I want you then to tell me which one you would be the most excited that you drew, and which one you would be the least excited because you'd tell your wife you just wasted ten bucks. The okay. names that you draw out, you have the choices: Raheem Morris, Jeff Saturday, Aaron Glenn, Jim Harbaugh, Brian Callahan, Eric Bieniemy, Mike Kafka, Shane Steichen, Rick, uh, Rich Bastasia. Wink Martindale, Bubba Ventrone. Which of those would you say, I just wasted my money, and which one would you be the most confident you're going to win? Well, I'd be most uh, disappointed if I got Jeff Saturday. I mean, with with all due respect, I mean, I like the man a lot, but he's not 
a head coach in this league. Uh, I would be. But do you think the Colts think that? Do you think he's out? Yeah, I, I, I do not think that in the long run that his name will be pulled out of the hat by Jim Irsay. I, I don't have a ton of inside information, but the way this thing is proceeding, I do not think that Jeff Saturday is the guy. Um, I'd be most excited. I'll give you three names uh, since that's I know it's cheating, but I like Raheem Morris because I very much like I like guys who've done it before. Um, at the same time, they really need a quarterback whisperer, and toward that end, I think you're looking at Steichen and Callahan. And uh, Peyton is a big Callahan supporter, um, so you know whatever that means. But uh, those are the two guys because they're going to start over with a new quarterback. And I want somebody uh, who's got a a history, a personal history of developing young quarterbacks as both those guys have. And Bob Kravitz with us here. Bob, looking ahead to Thursday's trade deadline for the Pacers. Obviously, the big news last week, Miles Turner related. You expect anything of substance for the Pacers on Thursday? I think there'll be some minor around the edges type deals. Um, maybe get themselves a, a few more, uh, a little more, uh, a few more assets. Maybe in the draft, but I think it'll be minor. I, you know, once, uh, you know, I guess it's possible they they move Buddy. They're once again they find themselves in a really weird spot where they're just good enough to be on the edge of the play-in tournament but they're not good enough to do anything. So I would I would think that you'd rather be a seller than a buyer at this point. I tend to think they're going to do very, very little and just kind of tinker around the edges. That's the sense I get from talking to people down, uh, down there. Do we, um, I guess, last thing, are we waiting for anything more on the John Morant front? Like, you said the NBA has responded, but pretty much Memphis has responded. Is there any kind of lingering things we should be on the lookout for? No, I don't think so. I think the, you know, the NBA has uh, really tried to sweep this under the rug. I can see stories coming about Memphis culture. You know, a lot of stuff has happened. <laughs> Um, you know, uh, with, with you know, on the court and off the court, um, you know, you know what, you know, I'm showing my age again, but you know what this John Morant thing reminds me of is early days of Allen Iverson. You know, Allen surrounded himself with some less than savory folks. Not that Allen was, you know, pure as a driven snow either, but uh, that that's what this reminds me of a little bit. I don't know what Jaws issue is uh he had a tweet about hollows you know like hollow point bullets you know uh, where that comes from i have no idea i don't know if he's a fake tough guy or whatever but i i think there are stories down the road on the memphis culture and what's happening there um but as far as this particular incident i think this is probably a done deal i think um the pacers uh, you know, got what they wanted out of this, which is to tell people, hey, we really uh, felt threatened and we're sick and tired of the league doing nothing about this about this culture they have in Memphis. Interesting. Uh, you know, heck of a player, Bob. And, and I was telling Kevin earlier, I, 
I think the world of John Morant as a basketball player, he's an unbelievable talent. He's fun to watch. But uh, I'm always, and I'm not saying this is the case here, but whenever you get a guy that goes from being somebody that hardly anybody's ever heard of to being one of the most famous athletes on the planet in the course of like six years, you never know which way it's going to go. You know what I mean? Just understanding how to handle all of that kind of stuff. Well, you know, you're 20 years old or whatever he is, and you suddenly got $200 million, and you've got got buddies and people and hangers-on who maybe you grew up with. You want to continue to take care of them, and that's good. God bless them. But don't go down those bad roads, man. Uh, You know, it can't can't possibly end well for John Morant. And uh, you would hope that, there would be some sort of intervention, whether it's by the Memphis organization or by the NBA, you know, by Adam Silver, saying, hey, this nonsense has got to stop. And it's not just him. I mean, it's Dylan Brooks hitting uh, Spider Mitchell in the, in the Nuggets the other day. Um, this kind of, you know, and the thing with Shannon Sharp. So, I mean, there's a pattern of misbehavior with the Memphis Grizzlies that's really concerning. Again, Bob Kravitz, he brings his insight. I guess we throw a couple column ideas his way. You do. I always appreciate it. Yes, it becomes a weekly Monday segment for us. Thank you, Bob. All right. Thank you, guys.